Hi, everyone. This is Raghu Marcus from Mind Rolling. Haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. We've been on a little bit of a hiatus as a result of being out in Maui doing our spring retreat with Ramdas and Lama Suryadas. And uh, I have a, a great uh, opportunity in this particular podcast to spend some time with uh, my close old friend, Danny Goldberg. And we talk a lot in this podcast about polarization, what's going on socially, politically in this country around that particular subject. It's something we're all thinking about a lot. And I think we're going to do more of this as we, as we go along because it uh, has such a deep effect, of course, in this election year. But at the same time, I have a major new announcement to make. We have created a new podcast network, the Be Here Now Network. It'll be BeHereNowNetwork.com, and there you will find our host of uh, core friends and teachers with Ramdas, which is Krishna Das, Lama Surya Das, Jack Cornfield, Sharon Salzberg, Joseph Goldstein. Danny Goldberg and Chris Grasso. We are all going to be having this great new home. I have wanted for a long time to have uh, a network that would be under the aegis of the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org, and we have finally realized that. And uh, with all of the wonderful connectivity and all of the beautiful heart wisdom that we have through all of our work with Ramdas.org and these teachers and these retreats that we do, which we've talked a lot about on Mind Rolling. And now we can connect all the dots. So I'm really pleased about this. And uh, I hope uh, that uh, you'll get help get the word out about the network. Uh, MindPod will continue and have uh, a wonderful connection with Be Here Now Network. And MindPod will have a, a vision with uh, younger, new generation podcasters. And as I say, we're going to continue to work together to, to bring you uh, as much of the shared heart wisdom that has been uh, inimitable to the network uh, as you knew it before and as it will be going forward. So that's the news, everybody. Uh, you'll hear a lot more of special events and uh, the uh, app we developed through MindPod will come over to the Be Here Now network. And the course that uh, I have been working on for a very long time will be available through be Here Now Network. Again, we'll make more uh, announcements around that as, as we go along, and we're going to bring in some more of our core teachers that uh, you've uh, heard and uh, on various podcasts, especially on Mind Rolling. So please do join us. Uh, again, BeHereNowNetwork.com, and we really want you to help get the word out. And, uh, and join us for all of the podcasts, including Ram Das. So now, here's basically the first mind-rolling podcast that's going to be on this network that I did with Danny Goldberg. Look forward to continuing to share with you in the weeks, months, and years ahead. Hi everyone, this is Raghu Marcus with Mind Rolling. And I'm with one of my favorite peeps in the world. We haven't done this together in quite some time. Danny Goldberg. Danny. Welcome. Hi. And uh, there's a, I asked you to come on because I had uh, 
read this wonderful article in the New York Times, which I sent you, around bipartisanship isn't for wimps, after all. It's just a really great article by a conservative, right? Arthur C. Brooks is very much a conservative uh, writer and uh, part of a think tank. Of right, I don't know if it's a right-wing think tank, but do you know him? It's, yeah, Amer- American Enterprise Institute is definitely right of center. Uh, previous fellows included people like Dick Cheney and Antonin Scalia and Robert Bork. Oh. Uh, there are a couple of moderates in there. Norm Orenstein, the main name that I recognize that was not a right winger, but they're heavily funded by, uh, they got a, a contribution of almost a million dollars from Mobile Exxon. And, uh, you know, they're heavily funded by a lot of, uh, uh, conservative, uh, business interests. Mm. And, uh, uh, I'm not sure I was quite as enthused about the article as, as you were, but I, I, uh, I, I'm oh, thrilled well, good. The, idea, you know, the idea of uh, talking about it. Okay, you know. great. Um, uh, by the way, everyone, uh, just uh, a part of this is uh, our relationship. Danny and I are doing podcasts on, on a network, uh, the MindPod Network. You're going to hear some news about that network in the coming weeks. There's going to be some changes. And uh, but uh, Danny did a podcast with Tom Hayden that's just uh, gone up recently in the last couple of weeks that uh, everybody out there should take a listen to. Now, you all know uh, what I do on mind rolling, what I've done with my uh, partner, David Silver, in the past has really been around consciousness culture, of course. But we have talked about. Uh, the situation in this country, particularly around the polarization of uh, the political uh, atmosphere, social atmosphere, uh, the disparity of wealth and poverty, uh, and so on and so forth. And uh, it's reaching a boiling point, obviously, and uh, in these days, as everyone sitting around watching the news every day can see, and uh, uh, and and particularly, Danny, in this uh, podcast, which was, by the way, fascinating, and I know you had mentioned to me that Tom's relationship with his Catholic upbringing had not been lost at all, and it was mm. really fascinating. For those of you who don't know, Tom has been an instrumental uh, figure in uh, on the left for since the what early sixties, basically early sixties in nineteen sixty two. Uh, he is one of the founders of Students for Democratic Society, best known as SDS, which was one of the principal organizations involved with out of college campuses uh, involved with both the, the civil rights movement in terms of supporting the civil rights movement and, and one of the leaders of the movement against the war in Vietnam. But right. he was the author of something called the Port Huron Statement, which was a much broader philosophical critique of materialism. And 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 the way he perceived American uh, capitalism at that time, that was one of the real foundational documents of the so-called counterculture, and still has enormous relevance. It's incredible. He wrote that. I think he was twenty or twenty-one years old. Mm. Uh, in subsequent years, he was a member of the one of the leaders of the anti-war movement, one of the so-called Chicago Eight, who was prosecuted for protests outside the 68 convention. Then he marries Jane Fonda, is in the California state legislature for 18 years, both the Assembly and the state Senate, uh, the author of over 100 bills, written 25 books, everything about from uh, Mexican gangs to the Irish uh, uh, independence uh, to the environment. Uh, he's He's really... A brilliant uh, uh, force of nature, mm. and still in his late seventies, one of the thought leaders on the, on the political left. Mm. And one of the scoops we had a scoop on that podcast, which is it was the first time he said that he, despite his identification with the political ideas of Bernie Sanders, that he was going to vote for Hillary Clinton because he was inspired by the support she got from the Black Congressional Caucus and mm-hmm. and uh, and for other reasons and that's become a, 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 a pretty interesting uh, voice in that conversation because he's not someone that most people would expect to take that position and certainly no one can accuse him of wanting political power. He's seventy eight. He's not gonna he's not gonna be appointed to anything or yeah. anything like that. But uh, it's it's a it's a conversation that I enjoyed because he. Uh, I'm trying to get people to also talk about their inner life. I always sense that he 
was affected by Catholicism and identified that way. And and he told me that another scoop that he says uh, the prayer of St. Francis yeah. every day, which I, I, I never heard him say that before. Yeah, and, which uh, is a, just a, a fantastic prayer. Uh, one of the things that struck me in, in this particular conversation that really is directly related to uh, this particular article, uh, he talked about, or both of you talked about, how this whole uh, political season with Bernie and Hillary, how friends are polarized around uh, around the uh, this election and around support for either Ber- uh, Bernie or Hillary. The this the polarization has gotten to such an extent that I can feel it uh, and. Uh, uh, just around me where people, especially young people, who are so devoted to Bernie. And uh, and th- that polarization taking place within that milieu I find extraordinary and uh, fascinating and a further example of, of how insidious this polarization in our country has become. So uh, th- that was one aspect that I thought was, uh, that you all talked about, that, that really was, it's kind of tough uh, to hear. And then you, you know, and you also hear from people, shit, if Bernie doesn't get in, I'm not voting for Hillary. I'm going to vote for Trump? Really? Well, it's more common there. Some people say they want to vote for the Green Party. I think it's... Um First of all, these battles for the nomination always end up having an amount of tension. Uh, the tension in 2008 between people who supported Barack Obama and people who supported Hillary Clinton was very strong. And there were a number of Hillary Clinton supporters at the time who said they would never, never vote for Obama. And the truth is, I'm sure almost all of them did, mm. uh, you know, uh, uh, especially after Hillary so enthusiastically supported him. And I expect that'll happen. I think there's a minority of people that that are uh, sort of lifelong uh, outsiders to the to the major political parties the kind of people who will, if you look at any election, there's a few hundred thousand people that'll vote for the for the Green Party. Uh, when Ralph Nader ran, it was two and a half or three million, but even when he doesn't. And and there's certain people that are just determined not to uh, not to participate in, in a two-way choice. Right. But I think the vast majority of people who typically have been Democrats are going to support whoever the nominee is at this point as we speak. Uh, it looks pretty likely that Hillary's going to be the nominee. I publicly for Bernie uh, and contributed to him, uh, but I also uh, have no problem differentiating between Hillary Clinton and any of the Republicans. But the article uh, wasn't really about that. It was about the polarization mm. between the left and the right, yeah. and the Republicans yeah, and, and the Democrats. Yeah. Um, and um, I think, I, I, you know, and, and he, of course, quoted the Dalai Lama, uh, let me who, actually let me read a couple of things yeah. so people get an idea of what we're talking about, because at least what interested me particularly. Uh, so if you think uh, there's a, a lot of right on right nastiness, just wait until the general election campaign when the raging right meets the livid left heft, head on in a country that's more politically polarized than it's been in many decades. And uh, it's interesting uh, that. Uh, the Pew Research Center study he quotes from 2014 that uh, shows that the share of Americans with consistently conservative or consistently liberal views has more than doubled in the past two decades to 21% from 10%. And uh, the uh, he says in 1994, nearly 40% of the Republicans were more liberal than the median Democrats and 30%, and those numbers have plummeted to 8 and 6%. So it's really, the polarization is radical at this point. Um, third, <laughs> we don't, we also don't like one another very much. 38% of Democrats have a very unfavorable view of Republicans, and 43% of Republicans hold that view of Democrats. About half of consistently liberal Americans say most of their friends share their views. And about a third say it's important to live in a place where that is so. For those who are consistently conservative, these preferences are even more pronounced. So 
this polarization is also assuming one starts to live in a place where uh, like-minded people are more likely to be. That That's an interesting uh, concept uh, and segmentation that's going on. Furthermore, there's a polarization uh, industrial complex in American media, which profits handsomely from the continuing climate of bitterness. Of course, we can see all of that on Fox versus and MSNBC. Not surprisingly, polarization in the House and Senate is at its highest since the end of Reconstruction in the in, since the uh, 1870s. Um, what else? Just a couple other uh, interesting things. He talks about bigotry, which is uh, highly involved in this uh, polarization. Uh, bigotry's co- uh, cousin is contempt. In the words of the 19th century philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer, Contempt is the unsullied conviction of the worthlessness of another. Watch and listen to politically polarized commentary today, and you'll see that it is more contemptuous than angry, overflowing with sneering mockery and disgust, which really feeds a certain demon in everybody. Um, You find yourself watching and sneering at this craziness that comes out of some of these candidates and um so you know we are very much part of this um the current po- uh, polarization america obs- uh, obstructs collaboration so what's the antidote and this is where you just mentioned where he gets into the the dalai lama and which is more interesting to me um most interesting to me i would say uh because it's it's stuff that we are have been working on, and I mean my particular work uh, with uh, Ramdas's foundation. Uh, some of the stuff he talks about is uh, particularly a strong tenant of what it is that we want to share. So um, he he made two points of Dalai Lama. First, the solution starts not with institutions but with individuals. We took too we looked too much to political parties or Congress to make progress, but not nearly enough at our own behavior. You can't single-handedly change the country, but you can change yourself by declaring your independence from the bitterness washing over our nation. You can strike a small blow for greater national unity. And then uh, Dalai Lama calls warm-heartedness towards those with whom we disagree. This might sound squishy, but it is actually tough and practical advice, and that's why the headline here, Bipartisanship Isn't for Wimps. Um, as he has stated, I defeat my enemies when I make them my friends. Now, these are one probably people listening going, well, that's fine for the Dalai Lama, but uh, you and me, we're going to be able to, to uh, disengage from this bitterness and polarization uh, by simply, um, you know, making a a commitment to uh, changing our inner lives. I mean, that's a huge commitment. And and what's the the practicality, um, you know, behind that concept? So, yeah, what what are your thoughts here about this? Well, there's there's a lot um, to unpack there. and uh, so at, at, at the outset, let me just say that I am definitely uh, in favor of warm heartedness <laughs> and that I do believe God is in every single human being. It is a much it is not effective to come from a place of anger or hatred, even if you're, quote unquote, on the logically right side of an issue. Someone talked about um the idea of people who were for peace with through clenched teeth not being as effective back in the 60s. And I think that's still very important to remember. So I'm grateful to remember in everybody's humanity. At the same time, uh, my understanding of life involves uh, morality and that there are certain behaviors that are that are better than others morally. For example, to give an extreme example, slavery. You know, and you could <clears throat> you could have said in the um, in the eighteen hundreds, uh, gee, there are people who were pro-slave and anti-slave, and and there must be some compromise in the middle that would be the appropriate, mature place. And that, to me, would have been morally wrong. The 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 solution was to eliminate slavery, 
uh, not to compromise between having some slave states and some non-slave states, which was at the time the argument of the moderates of that mm. of that period. So I think that one can respect the humanity of people one disagrees with to try to listen to what the, the feelings are behind their opinions and empathize with those feelings and at the same time not, not compromise or undercut one's own self of right and wrong. Now, in terms of the so-called, and I think that there is a, there is a, there is a, um, uh, a false equivalence that, that, that the writer of the article gives is if there's an equal amount of uh, anger and righteousness on both uh, the uh, you know, Republican and Democratic side at this particular moment in history. First of all, the whole thing about the so-called increasing polarization, I think, is a little bit um, exaggerated because up until a certain period of time, there were in the Democratic Party, northern liberals and southern racist conservatives who agreed on certain issues, and that was the Roosevelt Coalition that brought us the New Deal. And after the Civil Rights Bill passed in the 60s, over the next 10 or 15 years, all the racist Southerners then joined the Republican Party. So you no longer had that split within the Democratic Party. Um, and, um, and now the Republicans have really pushed out anybody who's a so-called uh, moderate uh, in, the, in this era of uh, uh, the great influence of right-wing talk radio and Fox and there are a lot of uh, people that that uh, that are right now questioning where their where their home is in in in, in be, between these parties. People who formerly were comfortable in the Republican side. Secondly, uh, I, I there is absolutely no equivalence between Fox and MSNBC. Uh, MSNBC's morning show, one of their most popular shows, is hosted by a former Republican congressman named Joe Scarborough, who is absolutely still a Republican, uh, and. Um, Many of the other shows have uh, moderates. You rarely hear a good word about Bernie Sanders on MSNBC, sometimes from Chris Hayes or Rachel Maddow. It's owned by Comcast, which is a conservative corporation. And in no way is it, the, is it as far to the left uh, as, uh, as uh, Fox is to the right. There's no uh, liberal Democrat hosting a primetime show on, uh, on Fox. That's just not – so that's a false – uh, equivalence <clears throat> that uh, rational thinking ought to be able to puncture without dehumanizing the person who wrote it. Um, and I think that um, th th there is also on debates about issues, I've always tried to understand conservative ideas because I know a lot of liberal ideas that I was very enthusiastic about. Some of them didn't end up with good outcomes in terms of how human beings were affected by them. And, and any ideas politically are limited by human intellect, human limitations. But th there, are, there are two distorting factors that I think have to be taken into account if you're going to then have an honest dialogue and sharing. One is the the distorting influence of money the the for example on the issue of of uh, climate change there's extraordinary amounts of money including uh, paid to the organization that this of the think tank this guy runs paid by oil companies and uh, uh, who profit immensely from the status quo in terms of uh, uh, carbon-based uh, energy that causes pollution. And if somebody is taking a lot of money from somebody, I do think it affects their uh, – it can affect their intellectual honesty and having an honest disagreement. So I think it's one thing to say people on the left and right could disagree about solutions to uh, climate change. Nobody knows for sure what's going to work. And I don't think it's right for liberals to be arrogant and thinking that you have to absolutely agree with what, uh, uh, you know, liberal leaders think about about the solutions. But when somebody says that it doesn't exist, uh, you know, to me, they're just being paid off. That's just that contradicts fact and science. The other distorting factor in American politics that has to be acknowledged in order to have an honest, compassionate exchange of ideas and conversation is that there is some percentage of the American public that are still racist. And there's just no question about the fact that Donald Trump's rise to popularity includes that. Uh, I'm not saying that if you're for Trump, you're a racist, but I think it's pretty true that if you're a racist, you're for Trump. Uh, he became uh, a national political figure, having been a celebrity prior to that, based on question, 
mentioning President Obama's birthplace. Yeah, right. I, I just cannot accept that there's an intellectually honest, ideological case to be made that President Obama was not born in the United States. I think that's a lie if you, that, 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 that spread because of, uh, of racism. I, I just don't think that's an honest disagreement. I think an, there are honest conservative arguments that I might disagree with, and I think it's very healthy to have multiple points of view and not to have the arrogance of thinking any one tribe, any one party, or any one ideology <clears throat> has the answers. But there's just no question that we are a country that, as Condoleezza Rice said, African-American Secretary of State under President George W. Bush said that America has a birth defect, and that birth defect was, is slavery. That's just a fact that still informs some of the attitudes. This issue of, of fear of immigrants, of people of a different color and who speak a different language, is not a new thing, but it's not a good thing. And to the extent that that's distorting... Uh, honest political discourse, I don't think it's contradicting warm-heartedness to just say, look, I could love your soul. I could appreciate your pain. Uh, I respect you as a human being. You have every right to all the rights that I want for myself and my family, but but I just think racism is morally and intellectually wrong. And that uh, that so I think if you if you could subtract racism and the corrupting influence of money, and then the remaining disagreements, I think, would 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 be uh, worked out in a very different manner, uh, not necessarily all to my liking, but I think it would have a more uh, pure sense of it. And I do think that the influence of money is is a serious problem for both political parties, but I think it's greater for the Republicans because the Democrats at least have labor unions and some other some other influences and minorities and uh, and the influence of racism. I just think those things distort the process and that it's not equal on both sides. And I think it's not intellectually honest for a conservative to say that because the, the racists are all on their side at the moment and they really have to uh, take a stand and then make their conservative arguments about economics or foreign policy or whatever else they want. But they can't, um, they can't pretend that both sides are equally racist. Mm -hmm. They're just not. Yeah. Good point. Uh, yeah, I love that. I never heard that from Condoleezza Rice, that, that the American birthright, it's a birth defect. A birth defect, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's really, She's so. someone I rarely quote. Yeah, right. And, uh, and was not a fan of uh, her, um, uh, the Bush administration's foreign policy, but I just think it's she's a good messenger for something like that because she's obviously not a quote-unquote liberal. Yeah. Well, I, this is great for this uh, getting us into a little bit more reality around this particular article and polarization and the realities of uh, between the right and the left. Uh, and of course, my penchant is is always to appreciate when someone brings up the most core uh, righteous uh, um, help that we can get from someone like the Dalai Lama. And sometimes uh, we can make that a little bit too pat and not think of the issues in the way that you just described them, which is why I invited you on this podcast for that very reason. So thank <laughs> you very much. Well, thank you. I mean, listen, I think it's important not to dehumanize people we disagree with. And as I said, um, uh, for example, I was staunch civil libertarian and was chairman of the ACLU in Southern California starting in the late 80s. And just before I started, um, the Reg during the Reagan administration, they eliminated what was called the Fairness Doctrine, which uh, in those days you have equal time for opposing viewpoints on for broadcasting because the broadcast – licenses given by the government on behalf of the people. We're not like a newspaper. And uh, all of my friends in the civil liberties world uh, uh, wanted to end the fairness doctrine because they thought it was interfering with free speech. And in retrospect, uh, I definitely think that was a mistake. That's what gave us uh, the toxicity of some of the uh, hate radio and other things like that. Similarly, um, when the crack epidemic was happening, uh, you know, and first hitting inner cities and the devastation in a lot of ghettos, a lot of the uh, 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 African-American leaders um, were among uh, the, the biggest people in favor of, uh, of, uh, of what we now call the war on drugs. 
they meant well. They were reacting to uh, great devastation in their community, but the result is something uh, most of us now, uh, me for sure, but I think most black leaders feel was a terrible mistake because the, you know, the amount of people in prison is off the charts. It's greater than any other country yeah. in the world, and it's wildly disproportionate people of color. I think there's four or five times as much of a likelihood of a of a black person who who uh, uh, of the marijuana arrests are wildly for poor people and people of color. So, so, and there's a lot of social programs that liberals champion that didn't work. And there are some ideas that conservatives had that did work. So I don't at all think liberals have all the right ideas. And I don't want to participate in a dehumanization of people I disagree with. And similarly, you know, within the left, you know, again, I have friends in the both the Bernie and the Hillary camps. I had many friends involved with Occupy Wall Street that are fed up with both parties. I have many friends who work within the system who believe that making incremental progress for people uh, matters, even if you don't get perfection. Uh, but I don't think it's equal. I think that there has been a particular um, uh, pathway um, on the Republican side that that has gotten much more to the right than anything has happened in the Democratic mm. Party and in terms of the left. Mm. I wish the Democratic Party were more to the left. It's not left enough for me. Uh, but but there has been this influence between uh, talk radio and Fox uh, and the power of a minority to uh, challenge in primaries from the right that, uh, you know, the, to have somebody during uh, a State of the Union address, uh, a congressperson yell at President Obama, you lie. I mean, that just there are certain things to me that, have, that, that, that there's an asymmetry to, to, to it. But then I want to contradict myself because I want to relate to another thing that, that was in the article, which is this is unprecedented polarization. That's definitely not true. We fought a civil war. Hundreds of thousands of Americans killed other Americans. That was definitely more polarized. Yeah, yeah, you might say that, yeah. <laughs> Similarly, in the early 1950s, uh, my parents talked so much about the McCarthy period and how people that were in any way associated with left-wing ideas literally mm -hmm. were fired as school teachers, uh, uh, blacklisted from acting in movies, fired from government agencies, uh, nothing like that has happened in, in, in recent uh, uh, decades. Uh, we look back at the 60s where we had uh, political leaders uh, murdered, you know, um, John Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, uh, George Wallace uh, shot and crippled. Um, by the grace of God, we have not had that in this, in this recent period. So I do not think this is the most polarized, Tom. I think there's a certain hysteria where we think that whatever is going on now is the most intense thing that ever happened. And sometimes it's helpful to look back over the arc right. of history to, to contextualize it and to just chill out a little bit. Mm. Well, I'm going to give, uh, now that we've uh, wiped out uh, Mr. Brooks uh, to some degree, uh, I do want to... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Arthur. Uh, but I do want to give him his last due. Uh in this article, because I guess this is where I really relate with what he's trying to say. And although I, I'm certainly happy you brought up uh, all of the uh, the inequality in what he's saying, and it is so absolutely true, especially, especially that Condoleezza Rice thing, each of us can be one part of the solution. America needs to become a more plural, pluralistic, tolerant country in which differences are part of a co competition of ideas and not a ghastly holy war of ideologies. So ask yourself, next time someone says something with which you disagree, am I about to show a bit of warm-heartedness? And at the very least, uh, he says, and as a conservative for the times, I'm dying over here. <laughs> He's, uh, you know, in the midst of what is uh, a very liberal uh, publication, supposedly. Um, but well, uh, back to the, it, I guess I love the warm-heartedness that uh, his little coining of that from the His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And I guess I really, really, 
I'm talking about myself and these things. And the reason that I wanted to chat with you about this was because uh, as I read this, and and of course, again, I'm really happy to get the reflection from you that gives a little bit of a a perspective on on the way that he presented this and and also historical perspective on this the way that polarization has gone on for uh, a couple of hundred years or more uh, much more and uh, at the same time when I find myself involved in this polarization uh, and be it and that's why this thing you did with Tom and talked about the how friends are at each other's throats around Hillary and Bernie and so on, and that's outside of the gigantic polarization between the right and the left. Uh, and I find my, I found myself in that same boat where I was sneering a little bit, even at these people around Bernie, who I felt was so absolutely... Uh, devoid of any practical reality in the things that he was proposing. I thought it was absurd, not that I was tremendously uh, attracted to uh, Hillary Clinton and and her involvement uh, with uh, Wall Street and all of that stuff, but when I find myself going to that place, and I guess here I am reading, you know, and he brings up this warm-heartedness, and it was like, okay... I have to start thinking about how to bring that in whenever I am uh, getting into that little sneering look at my brother, whoever it may be, next to me. Well, I think there are two levels. One level is definitely the need to honor and respect other human beings. And and I found myself, I think I told you this in one of our earlier podcasts, uh, sometimes at dinners when I would argue about political things with people, I would come home physically nauseous because I had let a certain amount of anger and self-righteousness into my self that I was then so uncomfortable with. So the tone and the attitude and the place from which we come is absolutely critical. And I I honor and and appreciate that aspect of what he's saying. And try for myself to live up to that at the same time martin luther king you know who i you know i love to quote when during the civil rights movement one of the things that people who were opposed to some of his ideas would say is they would say you can't legislate morality and he would say well you can't legislate morality that's true but you can regulate behavior he says the law may not make my brother love me but it can prevent him from lynching me (laughs) and there are certain policies that are nicer to people and for example when you talk about uh um bernie uh and i again have a feel it's a very close call and i respect people in both camps and don't like it when there's um disrespect shown on either side but one of the things that sometimes people will say to me is, um, oh, this idea of their free college is just ridiculous. That's just he's just tricking young people by offering them free things that's completely impossible to do. And the reality is that not only does every other country in the Western world offer public colleges for free to their citizens, so we know it's doable. But so did the United States up until 30 or 40 years ago. There was generations of people educated at City College or the University of California, either for free or for nominal fees of $500 a year. So it's absolutely possible. It it may not be something that the political will of the country enforces and makes happen, but the idea that it's not possible to do is a total falsehood and the result of almost the brainwashing that people have had over the last 20 or 30 years Um, so I, I, I think that there are real arguments to be made about, uh, the forces in the world and how to actually get things done. And I think the strongest argument for Hillary Clinton is that she knows the mechanics of power intimately in a way that nobody in our lifetime has known on the first day of a presidency. But on the other hand, without pressure from people like Bernie Sanders or Martin Luther King or Gloria Steinem or Rachel Carson, or Tom Hayden, um, the, the the politically possible center 
uh, drifts to the right in the direction of moneyed interests. Mm -hmm. And so you need these other forces to change the conversation. And there are all sorts of things that weren't possible until they were possible. One of the things that amazes me is that women ever got the right to vote because people who had to do it were men. And, you know, up until 1920, when my grandmother was born, women could not vote. Somehow, through enormous sacrifice and effort, that changed. And it changed eventually all over the world. The same with slavery, the same with the fact that there were no labor unions. So, you know, there's a balance between dealing in the here and now and respecting the people who have to do the tedious work of implementing and executing programs and to honor that expertise, and also to recognize that people get caught in a bubble, they get caught in a pattern, and it requires these outside visionaries to make progress. Otherwise, the human race would never progress. Mm. Really, then, you know, as I hear you talk and talk about policies that are absolutely more warm-hearted and kinder, uh, it really, it's it's feeling to me like it, it does boil down, and we can, not to make it simplistic, but it is a combination of the work that we all have to do on ourselves to become people who are uh, more warm-hearted and more able to speak with each other with respect uh, rather than sneering. And at the s- same time, it, these policies that... Uh, like for instance, Bernie espouses uh, are certainly important, and they're a major part of the conversation, and something we really do need to think about and not, um, you know, not dismiss so easily. Well, you come from Canada. There's not one person in Canada who has college debt. That's true, <laughs> and you know, nor do we have any. Uh, you have some it's very single good payer also. You have some very good universities. You have McGill and University yeah. of Toronto. You have the universities that are worldwide prestige, and you can go from any of those colleges to Harvard or Oxford or you do anything you want to do. And yet, and yet, uh, somehow they have a, a system where where nobody in that country, to our north, your native land, uh, has college debt, and we have millions of people in their twenties and thirties in yeah. this country who are burdened with six-figure debt for, yeah. because they happen to have... So there are some systemic problems that I think, you know, I, I don't think it's it, it need, need to be addressed. But, you know, the other funny thing about the polarization is I find from time to time I'm in a car or I'm in a meeting or I'm in a, you know, rest, you know, in some situation talking to somebody who I disagree with politically. This happened to me... Uh, so, so I was in a car for about an hour last week with a, a young woman upstate New York who who voted for Ted Cruz, and you know Ted Cruz to me when I see him on television, uh, my blood just boils. Yeah. He seems just so intolerant to me, and yeah. and and almost exuding a McCarthyite darkness. And yet this woman was obviously a, a good human being. She wasn't being bribed by anybody. She wasn't, she did, didn't seem prejudiced or racist or filled with any kind of hate. Just based on her own experiences, she had come to that conclusion. She had a different upbringing than I do, reads different things, uh, you know, maybe different religious beliefs, what, 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 whatever. And we had an extremely nice talk. We found we agreed on the legalization of marijuana, and um, we just agreed to disagree about this, and it didn't affect. There was nothing unpleasant at all about the exchange, and I think that that happens a lot. In there's not only working on oneself individually inside, which to me is the highest, the highest place to go through prayer, meditation, reflection, whatever one's path is, but also sort of on this person-to-person level, it's a very different dynamic than. The, the cable TV talk radio level. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't know, uh, you know, in other parts of the world, they do person to person diplomacy, you know, between Palestinians and Israelis, 20 school kids get together and get to know each other's problems. And years ago, we used to do that with the, so when there was a Soviet union, I participated in some things like that. And I'm wondering if we shouldn't try to find ways of doing that within the United States of person-to-person exchanges of people who who have these supposedly polarized views, because I don't think, with some crazy exceptions of people who just have demonic anger inside them, but I don't think most people face-to-face 
will hate each other even if they disagree about these things. Yeah, yeah. That this would be a uh, yeah. Talk about town hall meetings. This would be if somebody could actually moderate these things. Uh, that that would be a, a wonderful grassroots. Uh, Project. I mean, not yeah, not having cameras or microphones there, right? No, because, yeah. because when there's a public event, people are always worried about how it's going to look to their friends and so forth. Yeah. Um, but I do find on the on from time to time when I just have one-on-one conversations with people, it feels very, very different right. from the public argument. Don't don't you? Find, I mean, you live in North Carolina. Um, obviously, you live in a very liberal city in a very conservative state. Uh, you must have complicated. Yeah, but I'm 20 minutes outside of Asheville, and it, it's not very liberal where I am. So I, yeah. I never leave the house, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the the honest reality is for me, because I, you know, I see people all the time, and I'm interfacing them. They may work, they may come here to work, or I may be somewhere where I'm buying stuff or whatever, and we just and. It's it's the most pleasant and gracious uh, connectivity that you can have almost anywhere. I mean, it's really quite lovely. Waving yeah. every minute, you know, it's just... A, but you cannot talk. I mean, if we got into... Uh, certainly not about religion, uh, but about politics, it, it, uh, it would be a very, very difficult uh, conversation, to say the least. Now, you yeah. just said you had one with somebody. I could absolutely have that conversation. This is certainly Ted Cruz country outside of Asheville, uh, if not Trump, um, which is a whole other level of insanity. Uh, and I, uh, it's just not something that has come... I mean, you just mentioned I'm from Canada, so I look pretty askance at this whole scene. By the way, I guess I'm, you know, I remember that Dylan song, I pity the poor immigrant. Uh, you know, so that's uh, uh, that that's a bit of, you know, coming to this country and looking out uh, askance at this whole scene is pretty, pretty wild. Now, we had the worst right wing uh, prime minister that ever lived, Harper, before Trudeau won uh, just uh, a number of months ago, who is absolutely staggeringly fantastic. And I, uh, I, I wish Trudeau was running for president of here, the United States. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> He's an inspiring character yeah. and uh, tremendous. Set, an, set a really interesting example, uh, I hope, for other, yeah. for other leaders. Yeah, but uh, going back to this whole thing around uh, polarization and taking action within yourself. And uh, I think uh, this example you gave of being in a car with somebody uh, who, I mean, it couldn't be more polarized than Cruz. I mean, yeah, Tom Bernie Sanders person, she's a Ted Cruz person. That's yeah, pretty, right. it pretty, get, big, pretty big difference yeah. ideologically. Yeah. So to um, be able to sit there and be able to have, obviously, there was a warm heartedness there. So uh, this is a, a yeah. good example of, of where we need to go in this country. The other sure. lesson, though, lest we forget, was the agreement on the legalization of marijuana, which I think people. Right. You know, uh, you know, in the 60s, we always believed that if everyone got high, there'd be peace in the world. I definitely don't think that was a sufficient action to take to change the world for the better. But um, it's an interesting how certain issues cross these ideological lines. Right. And um, I think that's one of them. I think the foreign policy issues are very complicated right now because you have on the left of the Democratic Party is sort of anti-intervention. And Donald Trump is anti-intervention. You know, Donald Trump is probably more of a dove in traditional terms than Hillary Clinton is based on rhetoric. We don't, yeah, right. you know, I, that doesn't mean I would want to trust him with the uh, the armed forces of the United States under his command. I, 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 would, I wouldn't. But not every issue actually is polarized. It's more, in fact, th- 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 when they did polls about Obamacare, if they ask people, are you for Obamacare? I think, you know, uh, 40% were for it or something like that. Hardcore Democrats. When they just listed the policies that were in Obamacare, like should people uh, be able to get insurance even if they have pre existing conditions and things like that, 60% were for it when it wasn't called Obamacare. Mm. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, right. so part of it is this tribalism. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, 
what to do about that except like you're saying try to be warm-hearted and try to I mean, yeah, you can't. You got to just look at changing yourself. In in when it's that extreme, and yeah. uh, that uh, back to Condoleezza Rice, uh, the birth defect of the nation. Yeah. When it's that so deeply ingrained, and people it's are, just, it's just very tough. But uh, the need to belong to a certain team. Like I used to live in a neighborhood of Manhattan called Greenwich Village, and now I moved up to the Upper West Side, which is, you know. Uh, a, a 15 minute cab ride between the two places. It's, it's a tiny distance and extremely similar in terms of the kind of people who live there and the politics and the uh, food and the comfort level and the safety of the streets. And I'm constantly getting from people, oh, I can't believe you left the village or, oh, how do you like <laughs> the new neighborhood? This immediate need to put on a uniform. Yes, and it's, of course, right. you know, what Ramdas talks so much about, you know, roles yeah. versus souls this, 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 I'm a Yankee fan. I, I love heavy metal, you know, uh, you know, and, and this, this desire to, to, to wear a uniform, um, is, uh, not helpful. Yeah. Very, yeah. We're talking about. Yeah. Very much part of this conversation. Absolutely. For sure. Well, this is great to hang out and chat with you. I knew you'd bring this perspective, uh, to this particular question, Danny. Oh, thank you for including me. It means so much to me. I I, uh, I love being part of this community uh, as we as we go on in life to just try to uh, try to look inward and try to look to our highest selves and bring that out in each other. Yeah, exactly. it's sort of the idea. Uh, whether one is, I just went to a Springsteen show and you know I felt very much there were sort of twenty thousand of us trying to go to our higher place. It's not church exactly. It's not, it's not, uh, it's pretty churchy actually. I've been to one it, in a while, but it's, it's pretty a positive, churchy. positive thing. And, and that's the job of media to me is to try to bring out the best in each other instead of the worst. Uh, yeah. Amen. Uh, Amen on that. By the way, how was that concert? It was very, very good. Yeah. As one would expect. Uh, you know, I'm a fan of his, I'm not a fanatic. I don't keep track of how I know people I've seen 78 blue shows. <laughs> I, I, I have not, you know, but I've seen him a number of times. Every few years I try to see him, and uh, I've never been disappointed. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you again. Uh, by the way, uh, Danny Goldberg has his rock and roll show. You can go to mindpodnetwork.com slash Danny, and uh, you'll find the show again. We are alerting all mind-rolling listeners out there that listen up, because in the next few weeks we are going to have some major changes uh, in the offing, uh, all good for all involved, and uh, we're going to keep you informed about it. And uh, meanwhile, it's a beautiful spring evening here, Danny. I'm assuming it is in New York as well. So, Yep, very, very nice. Let's all take a nice deep breath and uh, bring it in, the warm-heartedness <laughs> for this world. Ram Ram. Thank you, Danny. This is mind rolling. We'll see you guys next week.